0: Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. We're having a class here. We're in the middle of our class on um, self-compassion, mindful self-compassion. And some of you are in the class. And in Wednesday, we all gathered and we were talking about um, finding our core values. And coincidentally, I was, found myself in a two-day workshop um, on mindfulness and psychotherapy, where they were also spending a lot of time on core values. And so um, the core values that we identified in our class, and I want to read some of them, and for any of you who don't know what a core value is, I bet you do know what a core value is, right? Um, it's not quite a goal. It's what guides us after, or what guides us and makes the goal, right? It's not a destination, destination but it's a direction. Um, it's not something we do, it's who we are. And um, we kind of unfold and discover them, and they hopefully guide our lives. And there was a quote um, in the book that I really love by um, Thomas Merton. And it says, if you want to identify me, ask me not where I live or what I like to eat or how I comb my hair, but ask me what I am living for in detail, And Ask me what I think is keeping me from living fully for the things I want to live for That really just touched me, you know, just touched my heart and um, some of the values That we identified um, In the class and I'll read them to you Um, Compassion Generosity, honesty, strength, balance, equanimity, tranquility, integrity, community, caring, nurturing, freedom, wisdom. These are all the core values that underlie uh, the Buddha's Eightfold Path. Right? It's why we practice the Eightfold Path is very much in line with this set of values. And so, um, and the one tranquility really jumped up at me as a core value. Um, There are many places in the Eightfold Path where they talk about tranquility as an awakening factor, um, but as a core value in your life, wow, urban Dharma. (laughs) Tranquility is not something we can buy at the 7 right? It's, it's just, it's hard in a full life, working and having a home and family, paying bills and getting on the freeway. Anybody in LA traffic this week? <laughs> wow, right? A lot of that. Tranquility is not something that comes easily. You can get a cup of Starbucks easily and tank up, but tranquility is hard earned, isn't it? In this culture here with this mind. So um, what I I thought about this week was, um, how do I lean in and move in the direction of my values? As in, how do I bring the Eightfold Path into my everyday life, into the practical doing of sitting on the freeway and um, not having time for the things that I may need to do and for all the pressures, right? How does that Eightfold Path land here in this body-mind? And what kind of effort do I need to sustain my attention on my practice of meditation um, and all the practices of the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path? What, What kind of effort do I need? What is that effort? And then I thought, huh, the Buddha talked about right effort. Oh, okay, so there's an answer there. Um, and right effort is one of the factors on the Eightfold Path. Can anybody list the Eightfold Path? You'll get an A. <laughs> Margaret?
1: Right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. Oh, that's good. She
0: literally is had, getting a PhD. I joke about it. <laughs> doing it. Okay. Um, yeah, that's the Eightfold Path. And um, right effort is right in there, right in the middle. And um, I have always liked to skip over that one. and I'll tell you why in a little bit yeah it's not one I focused on Um, so when just just to do a little covering of the territory um, they break down this eightfold path into um, The wisdom factors, which is view and intention, right? What you're looking at when you start, like you've got to climb to the top of the mountain for a clear view and how you intend, knowing what you're intending, right? So that's a wisdom factor. And then there's the um, virtue, morality, behavior, action factors of right speech. We've talked a lot about that here. Right action, right livelihood. we've gone over that and we will again Um, and then there are the internal factors the concentration factors um, and that's um, right effort what we're talking about today right mindfulness and right concentration and um, they overlap as you you would guess and when you're in one you tend to be in all of them they link up and cluster so that's a good Um, good news. And in the West, um, we like to say most people come to um, the meditation path for meditation, to concentrate their mind and get calm. Uh, Not many people walk in for morality and virtue, virtue for behavior, right? Is that true in the West? Not so true in the East. They start with morality and behavior and get into the... um, concentration and tranquility but most of us come because we want to still our mind and now we're reading every other day that mindfulness does amazing things for your brain and you just want to get your brain to stop thinking and get a little calm and tranquility so um the problem with that apparently is that um to get a tranquil mind your life has to reflect a tranquil mind. And they say a moral life contains a calm mind. So not only does meditation affect your life, but your life affects your meditation. It's a two-way street. And so it's worth um, investigating. Not something I personally wanted to hear 10 years ago. I just wanted to reach uh, altered states and um, not think and be blessed out. I mean, that's really what, what I wanted in truth, if in an honest moment. Maybe I wouldn't admit it to you exactly. Um, but I wasn't so interested in what do I need to cultivate and how do I need to live to serve that meditative process and tranquility and calm, ease, wisdom overall. So, um, so, so we're going to link them up and, um, hopefully, um, we could talk about what right effort is and, um, talk about some practical applications. So you're feeling like this pertains to you in your life, doing all the things that we do, the supermarket, the coffee, the 29 emails or 290, yeah. some of you are, right? I hear some of you have over 100 emails a day. Mm-hmm. Right? These are people going, yes, yes, okay. Um, and so, the pra- so some of the practical pieces of this, and and the, there's a paradox in this, too. Hopefully we'll get to that. So, um, so I'll read to you, well, let's talk first about What's hard about right effort? Why would I want to stick stick over it, skip over it? Now my mind is sticking on it, but mostly I've been skipping over it. Um, Because uh, I think there's some conditioning in our culture. Has anybody here been called lazy? Raise your hand if you've been called lazy. Did your mother? (laughs) right? Or, you know, um, so... Has anybody heard from a teacher, um, so-and-so is very bright and has such potential, but she needs or he needs to make more effort? (laughs) So many knots, right? Um, As a child therapist in my clinic, I have so many moms that drag in these children with good intention, and the child's head's down like this, looking down, and mom says, I just can't get him to do anything at home. You know, he won't do his chores. He won't finish his homework. He's just, what's the word? Crazy. OK. So right and effort going together, like the languaging, most of us are like, we're not going to want to go there on some unconscious level, right? Because we've already been told we're not good enough because we don't make enough effort because we're lazy, Right? And our inner critic will sometimes tell us that about ourselves, right? You didn't exercise enough. You didn't eat well enough. You didn't call your friends, your good friends, right? You didn't clean well enough. You know, there's always that list, how we're not enough. So when you put the word right and effort, the critic can just keep creep in there and make it very uncomfortable. Anybody feeling a little critic coming in? Right? It's so. Oh, I shouldn't say that word.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's fascinating. As a matter of fact, I'm going to go off to the side a little bit um, here. Yesterday, we were um, we were at a, a memorial service for a young person, and my friend who's with me said, "You know, Wendy, um, I'm thinking about your talks on the inner critic because I feel like." When I put my glasses on this morning, the critic woke up with me, and I'm just having an inner critic tape all day. Like, I'm really feeling it. It's, I'm, and, and we reflected on, yeah, it's easier to attack yourself than to feel vulnerable. And we were feeling vulnerable as parents, because we were facing a parent losing a child. And um, this was a strategy for him. So... Um, So when we talk about right effort, um, think about what arises in the room is our strategies to, um, to protect the vulnerability and the message that we all got in some way that we weren't enough. Did anybody not get a message that you weren't enough growing up? I want to meet you. Raise your hand. (laughs)
1: Seriously. I don't actually feel like I was taught that. But I do think that I was taught to work too hard, so I had to struggle with not being a workaholic. Yeah. Because I was taught to be too productive. Like, you should always be productive. But I was never, I don't feel like I was ever told I was lazy or that I wasn't enough, to be honest. But definitely there was a message of you should always be
0: doing something. And then if you weren't doing that something,
1: right then I would probably feel guilty so like I am a person who has a hard time just not doing something
0: yeah I think that's why I'm just this is why it's hard for us to land here right and to take it in because of that programming that's so intense Um, okay so this is what the Buddha said about right effort and um, I promise there's good news I really do Um, One tries to abandon wrong view and to enter into right view this is one's right effort One tries to abandon wrong intention and to enter into right intention This is one's right effort, and it goes on like this one tries to abandon wrong speech and enter into right speech This is one's right effort One tries to abandon wrong action and enter into right action. This is one's right effort one tries to abandon wrong livelihood and enter into right livelihood. So you're getting the language behind it. But um, basically um, he talks about um, the fact that with right effort, we're always, it's personal and individual because you don't wanna work too hard and too tight and strive too much in your practice and push too hard. And you don't wanna be loose and not try Oh, I'm going to sleep through meditation. I'll meditate tomorrow, right? That kind of thing. Oh, I'm not going to come to the sit today. I'm just going to sit back and read the paper and have coffee. You know, we all have to find that middle. And um, there's a, a famous sutta about the lute player. Do you remember that one? Okay. Where the, um, this musician, the lute player, comes to the Buddha and says, well, how do I practice um, the eightfold path? And the Buddha says, well, um, how do you tune up your lute? If you don't tune it up too tightly and the strings are loose, what happens? I can't play music, right? I'm not gonna get a good sound. If I tune it up and I tighten the strings too much, what happens? I'm not gonna get a good sound. And the Buddha said, well, that's how you practice. It's not too tight and not too loose to get a good sound. You have to tune that instrument just right in the middle. So he's inviting us to find what's the middle, right? Not too much, not too loose. What's your middle? And your middle will change all the time. As a matter of fact, it changes from hour to hour and day to day. So um, he invites you to find your middle. And then um, he talks about um, the four great efforts in right effort. So if the word right didn't turn you off, (laughs) an effort, now great. Let's see how we do with great. Four great efforts. Um, So um, you can basically use maybe four easier words. And think about it this way, um, prevent, abandon, develop, and maintain. So what are we preventing? Um, and I'll do this quickly, and then I'll give you some examples. So preventing is kind of um, this concept that he talks about of guarding your sense door, or not getting into slippery places. Like a great example is um, people who go to Alcoholics Anonymous, and you want to get sober from alcohol. You have this addiction, right? Um, They tell you, don't go into a bar, right? That's a slippery place. Um, Don't hang out with people who are drinking alcohol because that's slippery for you. You're likely to. give into that sense desire of wanting the alcohol. And so that's a very easy example of um, noticing how we're bombarded by all the senses, right? And let's say you're on a budget and you don't want to spend a lot of money. It's not maybe a great idea to go to Macy's when they're having 20% off the entire store, right? (laughs) Uh, So what we're doing on this one is we're preventing sensory overload for calm and um, for ease. And figure out how that works in your life. Um, I know whenever we talk about this one in dorma circles, there are people who will always give an example of, well, I don't avoid... Um, The cafeteria at work because there's a group of people that like to gossip and talk about other people and I just get sucked right in and then I'm agitated for the rest of the day and then I'm doing something I don't want to do so I avoid you know I prevent I avoid that cat that group in the cafeteria at that time um, to prevent that kind of agitation then I have to walk around with that agitation all day and it affects my practice it affects how I feel about myself, my calm, my centeredness. So I, I let that go. I abandon it. Which is the second one is abandon. So when you find yourself in um, a hindrance, or these practical things that come up, we talk about it all the time, um, you find yourself in agitation or ill will, anger, anger I don't want it, um, skeptical, skeptical, doubt, greed is another one, restlessness, anxiety, sleepiness, and that L word, laziness, sloth, right, mm-hmm. are the hindrances that we talk about. And you find yourself, you've arrived there, and you're in it. Um, some of the practice is to be able to abandon it, to let go, to put it down. Um, this week at work. I, a problem arose. What a surprise. <laughs> a problem arose, right? And this one looked like a whale of a problem, like a big problem. And um, I found that uh, my, the mindfulness maybe wasn't so present because I, I woke up in the middle of clinging to it, putting myself in the center of it, creating a bad story about it. Um, being very rigid about the solution, and I could feel my body muscles getting all worked up. And so then I reached out to um, a couple of people on um, email, trying to get a solution my way, right? And uh, the okay. answers I got were not my way. They were not good answers. <laughs> they were so. Soul- They were so long. thank you Paula, she knows, she knows, right, 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 and um, so now I've created a bigger wrong story where I'm in the middle suffering, and I've created other people suffering, and my body is filled with tension, and if I, the headache is starting to come, right, this feeling of overwhelm, and um, this is what he's talking about: abandon and the anger and, and the ill will and hatred for all the situations that brought this problem up. Um, and then, in the middle of all that, there was this memory, this little memory of like, wait a minute, this is impermanent. You've been here before. Is all these things are impermanent? They're just conditions. And um, luckily, there was just this ah, oh, this ease, this let it go, abandon it, put it down. Put your angry self-view down, right? And the funny part about this story, it's always good to embarrass yourself in front of a group, (laughs) is that my solution was so far north. like uh, The solution happened over here, very far away from me, that I had nothing to do with. It just resolved. And I thought, wow, okay, this is good wisdom for you, right? This is good wisdom. So you can abandon a hindrance ill will, you're getting very angry, Um, you're ready to just curse somebody out on the freeway, Um, you want to scream out the window something, right? And you can just abandon it and put it down by waking up in the middle of it and saying, I'm choosing to put this down. A resentment comes up, you heard something on the phone, and it was hurtful, and it didn't go your way, and then these thoughts start turning about how bad this relationship is, and how sad it is, and how you're suffering, and why this person behaves this way. And you know, you can sometimes, you can, not all the time, you can just abandon it. You can put it down, because you want ease. Not in a phony way, like, oh, I'm gonna put this down to feel better, and then, you know, I'll be distanced from my feelings, and I'll have this plastic smile. and Not like Barbie doll. You know what I mean? Like, not like that, um, what did we call it? Stepford? There was the movie, The Stepford. Oh, yeah, that's like, not like life, a Stepford wife. So, you know. Well. But really, genuinely, <laughs> I'm choosing to put this down because I want tranquility is my um, value, calm and ease. And I don't want to walk around agitated mm-hmm. and in anxiety and suffering. So maybe I can just put that down okay so that was abandoned you got prevent abandon. um developing is really so preventing and abandoning is about releasing or working with um unwholesome states of mind the unwholesome the difficult and the next two are about working and developing the wholesome states of mind so i said there was good news i mean there really is you know Um, So we could develop um, these wholesome states of mind, and we can cultivate them and maintain them. And some of the ways we develop that, we've all been doing it in here with our loving-kindness practice, our compassion practice, Mudita, our sympathetic joy practice, equanimity practice, Right, the divine abodes, our class, we're developing and broadening our capacity for compassion. So we're turning the mind towards a wholesome state um, and we're learning to do that, we're reinforcing it, right? And when we do that, um, it aids our tranquility when we're sitting, right? We're softening and expanding that heart. Um, and then the last one is maintain, is that um, we actually Identify that wholesome state and then we, we, we take an aim to grow in it, to, ta- to, to widen it and bring it out further. And I'll give mm-hmm. you some examples of that. Um, so that um, we're, we're noticing this sweet quality in us, which is we all need to do that. Those of us who like to put on critical glasses and have a strong inner critic it's really great to notice your sweet wholesome qualities Mm -hmm. and to contemplate them to sit with them and take them in and soak in so that they expand so we can have a more even balanced view of our self-concept I mean the self-concepts are imagined and they're temporary but sometimes we need to work with them So um, we're also um, in these last two of the four great efforts, we're um, increasing and fueling our capacity for um, mindfulness, obviously, when we wake up in the middle of something, we're aware, right? And um, investigation, our curiosity, we look into and we uncover towards wisdom, Um, We're bringing energy to our practice in our lives, to our awareness. Um, There's actually joy in it, PT, joy. Truly there is. It's really true. Uh, And tranquility, concentration. We're building on that concentrative capacity and equanimity. And these are the factors of awakening. So we're inviting them in. Um, So if you think of your mind like a big school bus, and you're the driver, let's just say, which we're really not. but you know, And you open the door, right? You're opening the door to the beautiful qualities. You're inviting them in on your bus, right? Which takes you on your path, which takes you to your, your destination, right? Which is no destination, but, you know, um, this awakening path. So I want to talk about the paradox of, of this. There's some paradox here. Um, and then I want to share uh, some of Gregory Kramer's teachings on this. Some really nice teachings. So um, the Buddha did talk about zeal and striving. I don't know about you, but I, that word striving in my practice is not pleasant. I don't like the striving aspect. I like the softening into and allowing the striving. It makes me think already of gritting my teeth and pushing through. But he actually did talk about striving, zeal and striving. And of course, you know, there's like one that is, serves you, a kind of striving, and there's a striving that doesn't serve you. But um, the striving that is helpful is um, we don't have to be so afraid of applying the Dharma, he says, um, for the sake of the Dharma, because there is excitement and joy in the path unfolding, right? There's a natural zeal that comes with it. And what we're doing when we're applying ourselves in this way is um, it's like, we live in the sea of grasping, you know, we're grasping, 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 wanting, grasping, wanting, wanting, wanting it to be different. And, and so a lot of the, the path is designed, the Four Noble Truths and the April Path, is to calm down and let go, to release into calm and ease, right? Non-clinging and relaxed. So in a way, the striving is really aiming energy at relaxing and letting go, All right? You're not going after it, but you're energetically moving in your effort into the capacity to feel and see your grasping moment by moment, mm-hmm. and to release. And and I had that moment in here actually when the room. So I told Mark before the sits. Uh-oh, what if we don't have room for people now, right? It, but there was some grasping in it, right? Like, I don't want to not have a, I want people to come, but I don't want to not have a chair, right? Mm-hmm. And what if it's so uncomfortable and you're all tight? But it became like a grasping. I want this to be different, and I want it to change now. And then I put a self in the middle. If you put yourself in the middle of a problem, did you notice you suffer? right? If you're in the middle of it, there's more suffering, right? Uh Uh-oh, I did not do whatever I needed to do to change the room, like take out my magic wand, (laughs) right? And so all that grasping comes naturally. It's a natural state. It's what we do, right? In our society, we solve problems. That's how we feel good. I solved the problem, therefore I am good, right? Or competent, right? And so um, this grasping is always happening on some level and right effort, the striving of right effort is turning your energy and your intention, your your desire, your intention towards the releasing and relaxing, not towards the tightening. Um, And this leads us to freedom from constriction, The relinquishment leads us to peace, right? The letting go, to compassion, to love. Um, And it also releases this funky little sense of me that's a little on the self-centered side, you know? Even when we're criticizing ourselves, it's got this me, me, me thing going. It's a relief to let that part go. It's, oh, it feels so good to let yourself not be so obsessed on yourself or, or anchored into yourself, right? That dialogue, it feels good without it. It's a little more free. So let's see if I can find some of Gregory's words on this, because I really enjoyed some of his writings on Right Effort. He gave some really cute, cute, some, some interesting examples. On on how you can combine the path factors to very practical things. So, he, first example: my car won't start. Anybody have that one?
1: <laughs>
0: so, right mindfulness is um, if you start with right mindfulness, I root awareness in the body mind, and I see the development of frustration. Right. It's me, my car, oh no, I've got to get somewhere, right? The right view in that is, my car is based on conditions. Because it's based on conditions, it's impermanent. Because it's impermanent, it could be stressful, because impermanent things tend to be stressful. Uh, Because it can lead to stress, I'm getting that I can't control it, right? And because I can't control it, it's not mine, or it's not an aspect of myself. So my right effort is I abandon my frustration. I cultivate a sense of inquiry into what's actually going on. I look at the mind looking at this instead of saying, why me this darn car? Interesting, huh? And very graspable, you know? And when you can't do it. And it's all about you and the car and the terrible day you're having and what, how much money is in your bank account to fix it, right? You have compassion because we're just human. This is the middle. We're working at it. Like, we're not at the end of the path, most of us. We're at the, most of us, it feels like a beginner's mind. We're at the beginning. So have compassion. Um, So... um, I notice I'm I'm in the meditation hall. I notice another person falling asleep in the meditation hall, right? I'm obviously not meditating, I'm looking at you <laughs> Or it could go the other way. I'm looking at you, you're so absorbed in meditating. Uh-oh, what about me? How come I not, right? All right, right mindfulness. I bring awareness to the hindrance of sloth and torpor externally, right? I'm seeing the problem of, of sleepiness. Uh, externally. You can see it internally and you can see it externally, right? Um, right effort. I guard against the arising of my judgment about this person, right? Instead of judging that person for snoring loudly, interrupting my meditation, I cultivate compassion and empathy, right? That's my effort. That wasn't so hard, yeah. right? That, stop saying right. Okay, and then my right view is mind states are impermanent, and I too get tired, right? I have great sits where I'm alert, and I have sits where I'm exhausted, and I have sits where I can't stop thinking. And I'm just normal. Thank you for saying right. <laughs> all right. Um, all right. So I'm in silent practice, and now I'm very distracted and sleepy. Okay. Right mindfulness, I identify the hindrance of sloth and torpor internally. It's happening internally. It could happen to the person next to me or me. Um, Right effort, Um, Oh, let's go with right view. My mind states change moment to moment based on conditions. I can cultivate, um, let's just end it there. Right effort, I notice the energy behind my application of mindfulness And notice that my sleepiness temporarily abates. So sometimes when you can see your sleepiness, it lifts a little. Here's one. Watching someone I don't know laugh. Right mindfulness. I notice in my body and mind my own happiness at their happiness. Mm -hmm. Um, Right view. I can experience suffering and the absence of suffering. right? Um, Right effort. I extend this happiness outward to all beings. Seeing someone get angry. I'll do that one. Right mindfulness. I bring awareness to the external mind state of anger. Oh, anger is arising. Right? Internally it arises, and externally it's a human quality. It's going to be around somewhere. Right? Right view. Um, I notice what is beyond my control in the situation and I'm aware of cause and effect of wholesome and unwholesome ways of being, right? I see within me what I cultivate and abandon and I see externally what I cultivate and abandon. Right effort, I guard against my judgment and my own reactivity in that situation. To getting a flavor? Of how um, it's applicable, and all of us are doing it anyway. You're all on the path because I'm sure a lot of you. I talked to many of you. I know you're all doing this in one form or another. Um, but sometimes we don't see how much we are practicing and how much already we're making a good effort or right, a wise effort. So. Oh, I'll read one more, why not? And then we'll stop. Eating at a buffet with sumptuous food. Love that one. Uh, Right mindfulness, I'm aware of the physical sensations of pleasure and wanting more, desire to eat more, and yet my belly is full. Have you been there? Yes. (laughs) Oh boy, yeah, okay. Right view, I see the conditions that make eating pleasurable. But I notice that it's based on conditions. And pursuing this pleasure is ultimately a source of discontent. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm in the middle of enjoying food, usually I'm not thinking this is going to be a source of discontent. <laughs> I would like to get there. That would be a good thing to practice, right? Because it is. It ends. The meal ends. Your belly's full, right? Then sometimes the next time you go to that restaurant and you order that dish, it didn't taste that good as the last <laughs> time. There's suffering in this wonderful sense pleasure. My right effort is I, I put down, I abandon the desire to continue eating based on the need for immediate pleasure, the immediate sensory. All right? So, he says Are we taking the impermanent as permanent, or what is ultimately painful as pleasurable? Are we defending or supporting the cultivation of our sense of self? Are we trying to own that which is beyond our control? Do we see the process of clinging? So these are the things that energize and fuel up the practice. But in all of this, I want to return to um, an ending that... We have to, um, it's skillful to listen to all of this with a great deal of compassion and kindness to ourselves at all times because it is not easy to be human. And we come by all these things honestly. We're born with um, conditions that bring up our difficulties and we swim in it in the culture. And um, life is just not um, like the movie La La Land. You know, it's just not, we're not going to always break into song and dance. (laughs) Right? It can be hard. So please do not take the Buddha's words with sternness or judgment or feeling inadequate. We really want to bring the Buddha's words to um, lighten up and release and soften and show the beautiful potential of practice in very simple things and in very complex things. So that we can all travel that path towards freedom you know, and peace and ease. And we can live skillfully in this world but yet not be only in this world, right? Mm-hmm. Not be bound down and caught up And the gift of that, and this is my last sentence, is not just for me, I don't do this for me, right? I I do this to serve and give, to, to be of service in life too. And all of us, we do it for ourselves, we liberate ourselves with the hope of helping others, liberating others. We bring others in, which is so needed right now, right? And I have a feeling that's why our room is so full. Right, Because we all have this desire to serve where they're suffering, and they're suffering right now. So let's take a moment of calm, ease, pause. I'll ring the bell. We'll take a breath. And if you like, you can put your hand on your heart. You could silently repeat a phrase. Just as I suffer, it's my wish, my desire. May I and all beings be free from suffering. May I and all beings awaken to the roots of suffering. May I and may all beings find peace, ease, tranquility in our lives. May all beings be safe and free of harm. May all beings experience ease and peace. So my apologies for going on longer because It is a big path factor to unpack. I think it needed another hour. It's really a complicated one. Um, And I love for us to break up in small groups and talk, which is, but our short is an hour, our short, our sit is short, an hour and a half, not two. That's something maybe as a community (coughs) you want to explore. But for right now, um, anybody would like to share or, Talk about what came up for them. Anybody have something they want to say on this topic? Yes?
1: I think what stood out to me the most was the abandoning part um, because, you know, we all go through things, and so I'm going through some stuff uh, relationship wise and home wise, and I get caught up in wanting it to be different and getting angry at the person and always looking forward, you know, the grasping. And that abandonment is kind of freeing, you know, that I can, I'm not letting it go, I'm not gonna stop doing anything, but that I could just, in that moment, just abandon it for now, and not get caught up in the, the anger and the wanting. So that stuff with me for today.
0: Thank you. Thank you. That's great, thank you for sharing. Anyone else? Yeah, I think,
1: Kind of in response to the banding, I also think it's kind of how quickly you can catch that. Mm-hmm. Because there's a battle that happens that if you start getting too far, so far, into whatever your issue is, your anger, your resentment, mm-hmm. your um, that that's that battle that that starts overtaking. So if you can catch it a lot quicker, then you can get to your ease a lot quicker. Yes.
0: Yeah. yeah, good point. Recognizing
1: the hook.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, Yeah, that's what else stood out for me, kind of going on with what they're talking about, too, is this whole thing about that lute, about tuning it tight or loose kind of thing. And I think um, cultivating a relationship with ourself first um, helps me discern the more I get to know me in reflection and being quiet and meditating of when I'm doing the sloth or when I'm paying attention and taking care of myself. And so like doing yoga for example, there's times where I don't really feel like it, but I'll go and it just gives me more energy. And then there's other times that I really need to not go and trust that I'll get back into that and not let that dictate me. And the same thing with coming here or and what I like about mindfulness is that like in religions and stuff. And from where I come from growing up, there's all this dogma and have-tos and all of that. And it's the same kind of thing. It's like if if I'm looking to be informed outside myself, that takes me away from myself. But if I look to get informed by my inner knowing, then right action occurs. So I just... Um, <coughs> appreciate you bringing that up around balance and listening to both sides.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Well articulated. Thank Thank you. you. Very well articulated.
1: You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more
0: information, please visit us at insightla.org.